You know, Luke was the one who was known as the beloved physician. And when you think of what Luke wrote in the Bible, we owe a lot to Luke. He wrote not only the gospel account of Jesus, but he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles, which is the account of the Holy Spirit's movement in the early church. What we see here is is one who was a physician who also referred to Jesus as the great physician. And no one was more attentive to the healing ministry of Jesus than was the physician, the beloved physician, Luke. And what we see in this passage today, though it may not speak directly to healing, except for in that last reference uh, related to those who had leprosy and uh, especially Naaman, he's talking about a way of life that is healing. He's talking about how we bring wholeness to our life and to our living. And in a word, what he's talking about is the worship of God, the love of God, is best demonstrated in the way that we serve our neighbors. He particularly understood the powers of a healer, and he knew Jesus' healing ministry in the words that Jesus spoke that day to the hometown crowd, to all the neighbors in Nazareth. You know, in this text today, Jesus is in his hometown, his home synagogue, and he reads the scripture lesson, and he preached a very short sermon, which usually makes parishioners happy, right? I see lots of head shaking out there. It's causing me to feel a little uncomfortable. You know, it wasn't short because the Nazareth cowboys were kicking off at noon, right? It it, it wasn't short because the congregation needed to beat the Baptist to the cafeteria, right? It, It was short because Jesus had a point to make that was very succinct, and and he made it, and he rolled up the scroll, and he sat down only to know that his neighbors of Nazareth were very upset with him. The way he concluded that sermon that day was this way. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was all. That was it. You know, in thinking about short sermons, I have preached a short sermon in my life, believe it or not. I remember when I was preaching to the hometown crowd in Tyler before coming to be your pastor, uh, it was around Christmas time and the choir had um, a a cantata that they were going to do, and the choir director assured me that the cantata would be concluded within 20 minutes and there'd be plenty of time for me to to preach a sermon. It'd be just a regular service. And I remember as uh, the service went on, there must have been a few things built in that we weren't prepared for, but after the cantata was over, it was 5 till 12. And the Dallas Cowboys did kick off at noon. And East Texas, in East Texas, a cardinal sin is to carry on past noon on a cowboy kickoff day. So I remember I stood up in the spirit of Jesus and looked at the crowd. And I said, today, today, I have a homily prepared for you. But I want to share with you my sermon. It's enough. And I sat down 
and the congregation stood up and applauded. <laughs> now, now I, I remembered that because the reaction of the congregation to me after my short sermon was very different than the reaction Jesus got, got from the hometown crowd in Nazareth. They were upset. They were furious. Not, not only because he had pointed out so many of the issues, the problems that were right there in their neighborhood, but he had spoken of himself as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You know, in the story we heard today, Jesus is a different kind of prophet. Not a prophet that comes proclaiming doom and gloom, not a prophet that, that is uh, all decked out in, in, in sackcloth and ash. Jesus is a prophet that is pointing the direction toward actions of love toward others. He stands squarely in the position of the prophet, but not with some sandwich board that declares doom and gloom, but with a prayer shawl. Instead of screaming angry threats, he reads from Isaiah, the scripture. And rather than standing on the fringe of the community, Jesus sits right there in the middle of the synagogue, the traditional posture of the rabbi or the teacher. There isn't the slightest hint that his eyes are wild or his hair is shaggy. He issues no burning cry for repentance, nor does he burden people with guilt. His role had nothing to do with his appearance. Rather, he had everything to do with a sense, it had everything to do with a sense of timing. The prophet Jesus says, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, let's get after it. Let, let's do what God has instructed us to do. Let's look upon the world and others who are in need. Let's see our neighbors as those we are called to respond to. You know, I read a, um, a little excerpt from a book called Holy Sweat by a guy named Tim Hansel. And he tells about a guest preacher in this rather large church who began his sermon by saying, I have three points for you today. And now to that, the congregation kind of uh, figuratively yawned because how many times have you heard a preacher say, I have three points to share with you today. And then he said, my first point is this. At this time, there are approximately two billion people in the world starving to death. The reaction from the congregation was similar to the reaction they had when he said he was going to preach three points because how many times had they heard either from the pulpit or from the television about the starving in the world and our need to respond another yawner and, and then the preacher made the second point he said this 
And most of you here don't give a damn. And, and, and the congregation reacted. You know, there was fidgeting in the pews. There were, uh, there were some gasps from some of the ladies. And, and some of the men just kind of turned their head and saying, I, I can't believe the preacher said that from the pulpit. And then he paused again and said, and my third point is that the real tragedy is that among Christians today, there are more of you concerned that I said damn than there are those of you concerned that there are two billion people in the world starving to death. And then he sat down. It was less than a minute. Here is this guest preacher in this large church who gets up and preaches a one-minute, three-point sermon and has everybody stewing, stirring, and most upset. And, and I share with, with you that story because it is so similar to what I believe Jesus did on that day in his hometown among his neighbors from Nazareth. He stated the obvious. He read from the scroll. He read from the book of Isaiah. And there were those who were upset about hearing the word about a world in need and our mandate to respond. Jesus didn't say a curse word. He didn't have to. He just simply read the challenging words from the book of Isaiah. He basically said that God is not going to come to everyone who is just expecting God to throw out the Romans. God is not going to come the way you expect and not going to bring about this piety and holiness, a way of living that separates us from others in the world. God is not going to come only to the good people. God is coming to the world. And here he is. Here he is. To the neighbors of Nazareth, this was Joseph's boy, Mary's son. And he was proclaiming that he was the one sent to come into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, namely to be our Savior. And to show us how to love God and love our neighbor in the most perfect way. When the prophet Jesus said, today the scripture is fulfilled, he turned that statement into a mission. Not only his mission, but a challenge to others to adopt a mission that focused their attention on others. He, he didn't say yesterday, he didn't say tomorrow. He said today 
is the day that we have to get after it. You know, Jesus said, I have come to preach good news to the poor. He he said that, but Isaiah had said it hundreds of years before. I have come to preach good news to the poor. Here was the one they longed for, the one they expected who had come to preach good news to the poor. And I want to tell us that this morning we need to recognize that in many of our neighborhoods we, we are not in the circles of the poor. We have to go where the poor are. We have to enter the circles of the poor. We have to invite the poor to enter our circles. We have to understand that neighbor means neighbor. And the world, the poor, are our neighbors. You know, I love our food ministry that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, one of the cars that came through the food lines, a a little girl in the back seat had put up a, a little handmade note on a torn out spiral bound notebook page and it simply said thank you for the support of our family you know we've seen in the past 17 18 months serpentine through this 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 large parking lot hundreds of cars that come here on saturday to pick up necessary food, supplement, that, to help them in the midst of what is food insecurity or food anxiety that so many of the working poor experience even today. Jesus said, I have come to proclaim release to the captives. You know, that's a difficult assignment, isn't it? Because... We, we can't actually release the captives if you're thinking of the captives being those who are on the other side of prison walls. But I want to assure you there is a release that goes on in the midst of a captive's life, even on the other side of the prison walls. When they experience the love and the care that is given to them by a neighbor who at the end of the day will walk free. You know, I remember through our prison ministry that's existed for longer than two decades now, going week after week after week after week, I I remember one prisoner saying to me, he said, you know what the difference is in the Lover's Lane ministry to us and all of the rest? I said, no, what? He said, you come week after week after week, after week, and you love us where we are. You know, that made an impression on me. And not all of us can go inside the prison walls. Not all of us can volunteer on a Saturday to pass out food. But, but we are part of a larger community when God calls out those in our midst. It is the extension, not only of this church, but of the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come to proclaim new sight for the blind. We might even say in in hearing for the deaf. We might even say recovery for the addict. 
that the church's call, the church's mission, the church's main reason for existence is to be uh, Isaiah, to be the Messiah that Isaiah spoke of, to be Jesus to a world in need. And Jesus said, I have come to liberate the oppressed. Jesus said, I have come to proclaim the year of God's favor. Now, now how do we hear that last word of Jesus from the, uh, from the book of Isaiah? I have come to proclaim the year of God's favor. In essence, Jesus was announcing that all people are valued by God, not because of what they do, not because of of where they live, not because of how much they earn, not because of the level of their religious activity and dedication. They are valued because God delights in them. They are each and every one God's children. And God is delighted in us, no matter what. But there is this extra sense, I believe, of satisfaction when we follow the mandate of God and when we become neighbor to others. You know, so much happened in 2020 that kind of, you know, went over our heads. There was so much that was going on in a different way. Some things that had been done year after year after year, but in a different way. And we simply didn't pay as much attention because we weren't present in the ways that we were. You know, I was remembering this year about how much, or this week, about how much we learn from our children. And how oftentimes it's the children who remind us of the most simple and basic and right response that we make to God. Last year, our fourth graders did what they have done for the last several years, and they interfaced with a group. And in interfacing with a group called Heart House, which were children of, of, of refugees or immigrants, They wrote a book in that interface, as is their custom, the book called Heart Words. You know, I picked up this book that, you know, I've I've read in a devotional sense. I've even read a story or two to my uh, granddaughter because it's really an alphabet book. It, It starts off in A, B, C, D, all the way through the alphabet, and there are words Uh, that start with that particular uh, letter of the alphabet, and there's wonderful stories related. But I want to read, in this sermon series about neighbors, what our Wesley Prep children did last year to continue to remind us. This book was created as part of the common ground experiment, a fourth grade tradition at Wesley Prep. This annual project is designed to invite unity through collaborative creativity. 
We hope to create an ever-expanding circle of common ground in Dallas so that all of our neighbors feel seen, loved, and known. To date, we've written four books with four different groups of our neighbors who are often marginalized. And proceeds from book sales are donated to organizations supporting our neighbors. More importantly, the friendships we've formed and the insights we've gained about our neighbors and ourselves have been beautiful and lasting. We're gaining a deep understanding of how much better we can all be when we come together. Now, I'm not going to read the whole book of the alphabet, but A is for abundance, adventure, and abide. All these words give us a joy for the ride. When we focus on abundance, our hearts overflow, and we're happy to share with the people we know. An abundance of love, forgiveness, and grace will make our lives rich any time, any place. Embrace life's adventures. Try something new. You'll be surprised to see what great things you can do. Abide in God's love, in His strength and His peace. And the love in your heart will only increase. Be authentic, be real. Let your true self be known. From authenticity, genuine Friendships and neighbors are grown. God bless our children. And thank you to our fourth graders last year who are fifth graders uh, here and some elsewhere for that wonderful reminder. You know, it also caused me to remember a, a letter that we received at the church uh, last year also. It, it was a letter that was probably written by an older child, a youth. And, and the letter featured three flags, a Cuban flag, a Pandamanian flag, and a U.S. flag. And the beautiful letter said this. Dear brothers and sisters of the United Methodist Church, this is a short thank you note to show our appreciation for the work that you do for your community by providing food during these times. Please know that your love is not going unnoticed. Christ can be preached in many ways and you have chosen to do so by way of selfless service. Therefore, my beloved, Brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Know that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. With love and gratitude, Abe, Yomena, Carol, Isabella, and Gabe.
You know, when we read statistics that, that, that aren't published in a newspaper, we're not getting big write-ups, we're not getting on television because of it, but when we read that 700,000 pounds of produce have been shared and 253,756 people have been fed, five of those people are Abe, Yomena, Carol, Isabella, and Gabe. Jesus said, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And when we read that, we, we, we sometimes would think that maybe Jesus didn't really realize what this year would be like or last year was like this year this crazy year with a pandemic still raging a hurricane threatening Louisiana and neighboring states this year with our troops in harm's way in Afghanistan trying to leave and so many Afghans in harm's way. This year, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today, we are called to get after it. The love of God expressed through us to our neighbors. To our neighbors. Now today, our sending forth at the end of this service, you'll be reminded that you can just slip right out these doors and visit along the way. But there'll be long tables out there with bags like these. And you can fill up those bags with potpourri and scented candles and, and, and other goodies that you'll simply be asked to go and share with a neighbor. And in so doing, you might discover that you have put yourself on the line for dealing with needs that might arise. And you've said... Here am I. Here am I. Amen.